Yo, Chuck, run a power move on him. May I say something to you to give you a true knowledge of yourself and life so that the same glory and success attained by other men who understand themselves may be yours? Man in the full knowledge of himself is a superb and supreme creature of creation. When man becomes possessor of the knowledge of himself, he becomes master of his environment, the captain of his own ship, the director of his own destiny, the accomplisher of his own ends. Today at the Brooklyn Combine, we... Um we have a special guest. Um, I think this is a very important show um, uh, and a very important topic that a lot of people hear about, um, but don't really know the details. This is Ken Montgomery for the Brooklyn Combine. Who else is on for the Combine today? Phil's here. Phil Strong. Right. Yeah, Phil is here. Now, um, so how should I start this? Um, we live in a society where we are inundated with sports. And in America, if you take out the black athlete, um, you have taken out trillions of dollars, um, uh, trillions, billions. It is the highest form of entertainment, I would, I would argue, even beyond music in this country. Um, and today we have Merle Code, who um, I'm going to allow him to introduce himself. I know a little bit about him um, from sports and um, some, you know, I know about the case that he was involved with. Um, but, you know, introduce yourself, Merle. Sure. So pleasure to meet you guys and appreciate you having me on the Brooklyn Combine today. Of course. Um, Likewise. My name is Merle. I'm originally from Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, former collegiate basketball player and professional you basketball play for, you, you play for Clemson, right? I did. I played at Clemson from 93 to 97. Wow. And then um, ended up uh, playing a little professional ball for a number of years. And after after my run and my body told me it was time to quit, <laughs> uh, I jumped into uh, the sports marketing world working for shoe companies. What year and was that? That was around 2001, 2002, 2002. 2002. 2002. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm going to just, you know, from someone outside looking in, right? So... Um, me and Phil both went to Hampton University, um, which is next to Newport News, which was where uh, a fellow by the name of Allen Iverson came from. <laughs> and I remember, I think Allen Iverson maybe is three years younger than me. I actually, the day, the year that he decided to come out, um, me, him, and, and another friend, Phil's, Phil's god brother, Tramel, and another friend of ours, Nasty, they call him Scott, had went out with him in D.C. But prior to that, we got an opportunity to see how the, how the world reacts to a, a, a Black athlete. Um, he was a kid, and he, you can tell that the corporations and everybody was coming. Right. Um, and Mel, for your case, this is just me, and I'm gonna let you do some of the talking and, and about your book um, and, and the situation that, that you 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 are in. Um, in my opinion, the NCAA has a had a, has a stranglehold on black talent, um, and in my opinion, bright people like yourself who are experienced, who was not only an athlete but a, a black person in this society with intelligence, you found. Um, 
other things to do related to the sports world. Um, it was ingenious because in my opinion, the NCAA had a stranglehold, but then you had these companies with the help of people like you who found a conduit to the athlete. Yeah. Is, is, um, that, is that a fair, fair it's assessment? A fair, it's a fair assessment, yeah. So just for your, for your knowledge, man, I got deep Virginia ties. My mother, okay. Okay. My mother is from Roanoke, Virginia, man. Okay. So I, okay. I spent every summer as a kid in, in, in Roanoke. Um, and so, well, shout, shout out to uh, thought, Nicole, yeah, Nicole, Pullen. yeah, Nicole Pullen Ross. So we got a good one rolling on. And I, my family, my mother, although I grew up in Brooklyn, my mother is from Portsmouth. Wow, so, okay, you know, okay. so yeah, I, I got yeah, respect I, for I, the beat. I, I got deep Virginia, I went to prep school in Fort, at Fort Union Military Academy, man. So, I, oh wow, I, I got deep Virginia ties, brother. Okay, um, okay. So anyway, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, man. Your assessment of, of, of this business as a whole is, and, and I mentioned it in the book, man, and I call it, you know, kind of the, 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 the 21st century uh, form of indigenous servitude. It's true, and, it is. And, and what it is, 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 is you have a, a system where um, you don't see many black head coaches, and, be, and that's for a reason. The reason is we need black assistant coaches to go into black neighborhoods and get black kids to bring them back to white schools so white schools make money. Wow. That's the system as, as it really uh, operates and exists. And the, the folks that are really left at the bottom of that barrel are the folks that are doing the work, which are those yeah. athletes, those yeah. young, young, predominantly, mm -hmm. um, again, those the, 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 the revenue generating sports, right? Basketball and football, mm -hmm. uh, which are predominantly black um, athletes are the ones doing the manual labor, but receiving nothing in return. And so the argument then becomes, well, they're getting their education. Well, let's, <laughs> pump, let's pump your brakes on that for a second. Because what really happens is there are all kinds of exceptions made to get these young men and women into school who aren't necessarily academically equipped to enter those institutions in the first place. Mm -hmm. So they are the meat that then becomes a revenue driver for you and your, and, and your business structure. And mm -hmm. then once they're done, you throw them to the wolves. Um, mm -hmm. So, for instance, the school requires a 3.5 and a 1,200 on the SAT to get into school. Well, if, no you can run that football, if you can run that football and you can dunk a basketball, if you got a 2.0 and a 701, they're going to find a way to get you in school. Get you in. And so then they get you into school and stick you in coaching education as a major or physical education major or parks, recreation, and tourism management. Like all these <laughs> All these majors just to keep you eligible to go run that football or go dunk that basketball for their benefit. And they and they're an, and, and they're a nonprofit. Is it is it am I it's, it's crazy because yes, they continue to operate under this farce of, of, of amateurism and nonprofit when listen, man, there's five hundred and fifty million dollars of dead coaching money floating around. Meaning oh there are coaches who've been fired at the NCAA level and they're all being paid that amount collectively. That's not amateur sports, man. 500, did you say 500, a half a billion dollars? $550 million of dead coaching money. And wow. so you talk about schools that spend $200 million on facility upgrades. And what you really saw if you were paying attention was when the pandemic hit and people thought there weren't gonna be any sports, these schools freaked out mm -hmm. because that's how these schools stay mm -hmm. alive. They stay alive. stay alive on sheer tuition. You, you, you know, Mar government, does, government doesn't provide them enough resources mm -hmm. to, to So if these young men and young women don't play, the science building and the professors don't get paid, the new science education buildings don't get built, you know, 
it's the infrastructure crumbled. So, so it's, you know, one of the things that was, was really enlightening to me right prior to the um, pandemic, uh, we share a, a good friend and someone, you know, or one of our, one of our good friends and, and young brothers, we, we really rock with, he's like families, Epi Udo. Um, Epi, Epi, yo, when I told Epi uh, that we were having you on, he was like, yo, that's my, that's my guy right there. He said, yo, he gave me my first deal with Nike. Um, but Epi brought me down to Baylor. <clears throat> and I, it was the year that Baylor was, was doing well. And then the pandemic hit, I think they, it was like, I think the game was between them and Kansas. Mm -hmm. So big, big, it was like one and two, right. big game. Right. And Epi brought me into the locker room. After, first of all, the stadium and then the locker room. I go in the locker room after the game. And it was shocking to me. Like it, it, it was, you know, listen, I'm a, a capital federal criminal state defense attorney, grew up in Brooklyn. Ain't too much shit that can shock me. <laughs> but I'm looking in this locker room and you just see the enormous wealth of these white men and their wives and their mm -hmm. sons and all these black players, some of them are upset, they lost, most of them are upset. And just the energy was a weird thing. And uh, it's, it's, again, it's, it's business. And they shuffle these black kids in and out of these programs, man. And they're, they're really nameless because it's, it's a cycle. Let's get these kids in here, see if we can win some games, increase our television revenue, increase our sponsorship deals and licensing and marketing opportunities. Um, because the more we win, the, the, the more donors give. More donors right? give. The more right. donors give, the more we win. And so right. what happens is when we win, okay, we got to find the next group of kids to help us win. And how do you help us win? Well, sometimes you have to do some things for the parents or the kids themselves to continue that cycle. Mm. Right? Mm. And so because they don't want to necessarily go outside of NCAA rules and regulations, they lean on their sponsorship partners or they lean on, <clears throat> excuse me, um, their booster network. They lean on these other people to do what they can't do that's outside of the guidelines of NCAA rules and regulations. So, so how, all right, so this, for those who are listening, there was a big Southern District case in which you were a defendant. Um, I believe uh, Chris Dawkins was, yep. one, was one of the other individuals and another guy, um, Joe Giada, Giada, I think. Giada. Giada, you guys went to trial. And yes. for those of you who don't know, well, at least, bro, you went to trial. And for yes. those of you who don't know, you, they, the, the Southern District is a, you know, I, I compare it to this. If they, this is the power that they exert. If they see an ant crawling on the floor, they won't just kind of swat at it. They'll go get a bulldozer mm -hmm. to knock it, to kill an ant. Um, let's, uh, let's have a, I have a couple of music, music selections I want to add on right now. So let's, let's take a break and we'll come back and discuss, uh, the NCAA and, uh, with Meryl Cole. Oh, let's rub right in there. 
All right, we're back. Um, they're not used to losing. Um, they win some 96, 97% of the time at trial. And that's not because the defense bar isn't talented. It's because the rules of evidence that um, are, are always curated in their favor. It's because real trial attorneys, you don't get to speak to jurors. It's a number of things that affect the conviction rate. But you and your attorneys did really well. If, if from what I remember, and, and this is full disclosure, I think me and you talked before this, right. I represented um, uh, someone of interest, a parent, mm -hmm. uh, one half of a parent in this case, one of the kids who was central to it. Um, but you went to trial and you, I think you uh, were acquitted on the majority of the counts, right? You only were convicted of what, one or two counts? So it's crazy because, yeah, so I was facing 120 years um, in prison for breaking NCAA rules. <laughs> Um, so I was charged with two, I believe six counts, six, yes, it was 20 years per count. So it was uh -huh. six counts. Um, I ended up winning on three of, uh, I mean, I'm sorry. I ended up, uh, being exonerated on half uh -huh. of, of, of the counts. Um, and the ones that I was convicted on, um, as you very well stated, man, these, these, it was interesting to watch because these are really young, um, inexperienced and inexperienced, incompetent, and really incompetent because the judge ended up having to damn do the in, uh, um, questioning because yeah, that, 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 that's, that's what, that's what federal judges that, you know, some of us in the defense bar in the federal world, we say that's, you know, you gotta, you gotta you know, be able to deal with man, the full prosecutor on the bench. Exactly. How, how you, how you helping these dudes interview their own witnesses? Yeah, And so it got to the point, man, where I said, okay, you said I defrauded the same school that I have on wiretaps asking for the help. help. This this, makes no, and you, you just, you hit on a point. I'm gonna, I want to let you finish because you, you have so much information. There's a lot of questions I want to ask. I'm going to try to wait to the end. But one of the wildest things about reading the indictment, <clears throat> and I remember when this case first broke, I got calls. Uh, good friends of mine got calls. They were in this case involved as well. But to hear that the injured party was, was the, the university. was the university's they was, got hurt was ridiculous to me because they got hurt they were the, injured by asking me and the company that I worked for to help them yeah. they were injured they were and the it injured party it was an interesting point in the, in the trial man where it was either my father uh, who was a career attorney and judge himself oh okay. Or, or one of our other attorneys. I believe it was either my father or Steve Haney. So your father was one of the attorneys of record, right? Yes. All right. Because yes. you don't strike me as a brother who go pro se. And I was like, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I consider myself to be intelligent, but not yeah, exactly. that. <laughs> so, so the question, so what they did to us, and again, they talk about manipulation of truth is we're saying, okay, you're saying I defrauded these folks, but we have the wiretaps um, and the text messages from these coaches and these athletic directors. We'll put them on the stand. No, you won't. We're suppressing that. We're not going to allow them to testify. Now, wait a minute. You're saying that I defrauded these folks and I have actual evidence. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. They're not, they're not taking the stand. So what they did was they put the compliance officers on the stand, not the coaches who were asking the for coaches. the 
plaintiff's officers. Or and of course, account- those officers said they had no conversations they, with they, the company they, about they, nothing. They only make sure everything is done right and properly. You know how the game go, right? So, so, but one of our attorneys said to the compliance officer, so tell us when you called the government to tell them you've been defrauded. <laughs> Objection. Yes, yes, that's that question. Objection. And yep. the, the judge sustained it immediately. Now, like, wait did, a minute. So what happened, happened is, right? what happened was the government called the school to say, hey, you've been defrauded. And the government and the, and the school said, okay, I guess I have been. What are they going to no. say? Not part of the crime? No, if it's a crime? Mel, Mel, you know, that doesn't make sense to me. If you're a thinking person, if anyone is thinking, they they can tell that the government was contacted by the NCAA mm-hmm. to break this thing up because they couldn't control it. In my opinion, I think that was really what it was well, about. Man, when, when white people can't control something, they're control something. They're absolutely. They changed. They moved the goalposts. And and as I said, you had these smart. Like, listen, you had someone bright like yourself who knew basketball, who knew coaching, who knew business, but understood how this paradigm existed for so many years and worked and when you started cutting through that and not just you I'm sure there's other people out there then this thing got to be a problem from my perspective I'm gonna tell you though one of the things that was really sad for me to watch is that the parents get so invested that they don't even think on how to protect their children anymore well, um, that's partly true, but I would also say part of it is not necessarily protection. Part of it is they're sick of the system as well, and they're okay. tired of the system taking advantage of their children. So they said, mm-hmm. listen, man, you guys, are, I know the coach is making $5 million a year. Mm-hmm. Y'all need to provide my family 250000 because y'all are going to make Google's money during his time here. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily a protection thing sometimes. Sometimes it's, listen, man, my son has should, should be paid his fair market value, mm-hmm. whatever that is and whatever we come up with and how we determine that number. And so are you willing to help us get to that number? And if so, yeah, so we're going to come perform at your school. Mm. And so sometimes man, it's, it's, if we really live in a capitalist society, it's business. Business. It's business. And so, yeah, I hear you and you're right. There are times when parents do the utmost, right, in turn, and, 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 and not protecting their kids or, or, mm-hmm. or jumping at something trying to be greedy or whatever. Yes, it happens. Mm-hmm. But there's times so like listen we're not being greedy we think this is what we're worth and this is what we're asking yeah. for now I, I, don't, I, I, I don't care about the rules listen I, I get it man like you know these corporations which I call them then so they're corporations yeah. you know and they're protect they're a protected class right. as well and I think you going to trial you really saw why they're so protected and why this thing is in in its space and it's funny like the the um the recent signing by Deion, uh, is it Deion Jackson? Deion Sanders or Jackson State? Deion Sanders. Mm-hmm. I guess that's why that was a big deal because that's money that was going to go to some program that's yeah. now coming to an HBCU. Yeah. Um, is there any, you always hear people say black athletes should go to HBCUs and not, you know, you hear this a lot. I do. And I have, a, I have an interesting take on that. Right? Wait, what is your um, take on that? So I have my, my parents are both products of HBCUs. Me too. My, my parents my parents both went to North Carolina AT. Great um, school. My dad is in the Hall of Fame as a football player there. Uh, my wife is a product of an HBCU. She went to Tennessee State University. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, my grandmother played basketball. My grandmother played basketball at South Carolina State. Wow. My grandmother played baseball at Benedict College. Um, so I'm the product of a long line of HBCU graduates. Mm -hmm. um, and I am all for Black kids supporting and going to Black schools. Um, mm -hmm. But here's the problem. There's not enough HBCUs to support the number of athletes that athletes. play the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. so it's 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 not really a, a a realistic conversation to say every athlete go to HBCUs because if that was they the don't case, have the, they don't have they don't have currently they don't have the infrastructure or or there's just the, not enough schools. I mean, not there's not enough schools. Schools. No, that's you're absolutely right. That's that's not like that's just basic. Enough. That's that's basic right there. There's I hear that. Not right. Enough. Right, so you got you got full rosters full of H of athletes now at HBCUs, right? Mm -hmm. You also have full rosters at predominantly white institutions that are that are seventy eight percent black athletes. Mm -hmm. So if those seventy or eighty percent now leave those white schools and go to those HBCUs, what happens to those kids that are already there? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's just not enough in sheer numbers. Now not I do, agree, I do, I would like to see there be more focus in terms of some of these television contracts, mm -hmm. some of the sponsorship deals that are multi-million dollar deals. Um, some of those monies uh, trickle down to the HBCU level. But, but I would also like to see uh, them stop trying to manipulate uh, these young men and young women's abilities to earn on their abilities. This name, image and likeness thing, man, it's a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. And you talk about still having to ask master for permission, permission yeah. to use my name, to use my likeness do, and to use my image. Do you, do you foresee, um, because of this case, uh, which I would really consider a first of its kind, and, and, and to be quite honest with you, I could be, and what was troubling about this case, in my opinion, is you didn't see Rick Patino in that courtroom, and you didn't see the coach from Arizona in that courtroom. And a few other coaches out there, but you right. saw the you saw you eight, in that eight, eight of the nine folks in the courtroom were black. Black. That that was very to me compelling and telling. And now with this case, do you foresee NCAA perhaps changing their rules a bit? Do you see the, in my opinion, um, the 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 technology, the social media has changed the game a little bit. Because now these kids could perhaps market themselves and get the attention of companies. Right. Do you see, foresee that changing how things are done in the near future? So, again, man, what's interesting is when you're not in this space and you don't really pay attention, what you don't realize is each state has its own rules as it relates to these name, image, and likeness deals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Each state can come up with their own regulatory um, structure. So in Georgia, for instance, they have the right to say to take, and I said take 70, 70 percent of a, of an of an NIL deal and reallocate that to the school as they see fit. Wow. In the state of South Carolina, where I'm from, they cap the agent fees at 10%. So what they're doing is they're they're basically attempting to to um, discourage right the the agent from bringing a deal because he's not gonna make any money doing it. Wow. Well, then, then you hurt the kids. So again, it's all these little small rules um, from a state perspective that continue to um, attempt to minimize the kids' earning potential. And so until there's something done at the federal level where they say, hey, man, cut it out, because there's no other 
entity from a business standpoint in the country that mm -hmm. operates this. You don't you don't minimize the science student who's on science no. scholarship. Their ability. Okay, to Mark, how, how much money? Because I have you know in my in my opinion, we are here at this point is because of the sheer amount of money yeah. that's generated. Like I I don't know the numbers, and I I don't. Is it trillions? Is it billions? I know it's billions. Is it trillions? It's billions. It's billions, billions of, dollars. of dollars, right? It's billions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, it's billions of dollars because, man, think about this. One shoe deal, I mean, one shoe contract with one university is worth, you know, there could be on the low end, of, and I'm talking about your major program. Mm -hmm. Low end, they're probably $60 million. That's the low end. High end, you're talking, high end, you're talking $220 million deals. So someone like Duke is quarter of a million, like more, <laughs> probably more. Well, you're talking a $200 million deal. That's one company, one relationship. You know, so you talk about the television revenue, it's in the billion, it's in the billions. You talk mm. about ticket sales, uh, you talk about jersey and t-shirt, I mean, jersey t-shirt, short shoe sales. You talk about all the licensing. The, the, schools, the licensing. The, different the, the echelon at the NCAA, and how that that's run. What is the percentage of people who look like you and me? In the You're talking about the hierarchy? In the, the, hierarchy the hierarchy, yeah. The, the upper I, I, don't, I don't know to be exact, but I would probably guess it's less than 10%. Less than 10%. I would guess. Now again, I don't know that to be factual, but I don't know many folks over there in leadership positions that look like us. Mm. Um, and so uh, here's what you got to understand too. The, the NCAA makes about a, makes a billion dollars a year. 97% of that revenue is generated from March Madness, just from that one month of basketball. Because football is such a powerful entity, they basically told, and excuse my language, but I'm going to say it. Football say is basically it. told to go fuck themselves. You're not going <laughs> to make, that's why they have all these individual ball games and not a tournament style like they do in basketball. Because they see amongst the schools and the conferences and the NCAA doesn't see any of that revenue. Wow. So if, if you notice, you don't see the NCAA Orange Bowl. You don't no. see the NCAA Fiesta Bowl, but you mm -hmm. sure see the NCAA March Madness, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're so the problem right. is when you don't understand the business and haven't been inside the walls to know what the, what's really going on, you, you create these false narratives and not understanding the realities of the business as it currently exists. Um, all right. Um... I guess we have a, a music selection right now and we'll come back. Jaw. I got trees at the studio crib, so I ain't gotta run far. 
we own all the houses on the block I'm my own next door neighbor now Stack that paper up and found us a way out Turned a loose sheet of paper to a wrap And used it like a treasure map Follow the steps, get a Rolex out of that Flyer than the feather in my uncle hat Pull up, lay my Chevy down flat But you know where I'm at You ain't coming around here black Get washed, the laundromat owner That's my homie, we go way back Told me not to let no squares derail me off that money train I must maintain, stay on track All my partners got their own pack Crazy how weird is the legal trap And the stock market is digital cash Get in, I'll be left NFT, the untouchable cash cow I'm finna mash out like right now They got the Superman colored Porsche outside Shit is super vibe <laughs> Sounds like I'm the shit, and you ain't the shit Sounds like the 23 coupe, still paint the shit Sounds like I could blow dank in the banking shit Sounds like your big homie salutes, I'm outranking him Sounds like I got a couple spots, make a couple M's Sounds like I'm the alpha wolf in the fucking den Sounds like I'm a made man, nigga fuck the pen Sounds like another form of trip, you can feel his in Sounds like smoking on the yacht, just to feel the wind Linen shit, loafers lace, I don't play poker, fuck a poker face Eyes probably closed, that's a smoker's face Nigga you can smoke an eighth, smoke a half, smoke a zip We be on that Sosa shit, probably more than most of it Nigga that's a fact, you say no cap Nigga salary, I can just snap a man a clap That's a battery, nigga stole my style I ain't mad, that is flattery Niggas talking tough, I don't listen That is chattery, oops I mean shattering Think about your spine, if it's shattering Think about your mind, if it's splattering We don't give a fuck about your family at the gathering I was in the tub with the French soap lathering Probably in the McLaren, riding up Madison ha! This that ghost and that spit of shit Yeah, this that real, real nigga shit Alright, we're back Continuing this you know, incredibly insightful conversation with, with Merle Cole do, do you foresee the grassroots changing at all on the grassroots level of, of, of the game a, a bit? No. <laughs> he said no. 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 As, long, as, long as, it's a, as long as it's a revenue generating machine, they're going to continue to have to fill that machine with young athletes. Hmm. And, and again, predominantly young black, black athletes. What, what, so mm -hmm. no, no, it's not, what, it's not going to change. What, what, listen, is there any way to keep the NCAA, the NCAA honest and, and, and um, hold them account, accountable for this hypocrisy? Is there until, any? Until, until somebody has enough balls at the federal level, at, at the Senate level, you know, to, 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 to change, some, change some laws and, and, and force them to create some algorithm, some uh, formula that takes the entirety of their budgets in terms of what they earn annually and find a percentage of that number and put some monies into all of these athletes' pockets to help them generate that revenue? Yeah. No. No. So it's going to take legislation. Yeah. So we're going to have to, we're going to need whiteness to have a moral compass. Compass. Shit. And, 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 care, about, and, care, and care about the humanistic side, side of, of these young men and young women. So the and answer you and I is were no. all. 
Yeah. Yes so you and no. you and I were probably on the opposite ends of, of 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 a situation, right? But again, that that family was in need. That family's home had burned down. They found that family wanted a place to live and move and be close to their son so they could watch him plus. And because we attempted to help them, that they turned did. into a federal crime. Federal crime. That that's ridiculous. And what what really bothers me is that like I know some of the evidence that was generated in this case. Um the white coaches didn't get <laughs> they didn't get black balls. They didn't get prosecuted. No, I, no. How does that, you know? I don't even understand how that doesn't happen. If you're really yeah, trying to yes, make it business. Yes, you do, because you're a black man and you understand what it's like to be a black man in this country. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So it, it, I understand, I understand fully. Hmm. Historically, white folks have protected white folks. Yeah. Voice, you, you, you never want it to be that way, man, but that's what it is, especially when it comes to revenue generating situations. Look, looking back now, and having the, the, the reflection, because I'm gonna be honest, you know, I, I represent people charged with very serious crimes in that same building you went to trial with, some who the government is even charging them to execute them. Um, you have a certain sense of reflection that a lot of people who would have been in your shoes wouldn't have. Um, and I say that to say that, you know, people would feel very bitter uh, uh, about the hypocrisy of this and then having to go sit down somewhere for nine months right. for something that is a that <laughs> is a crime where you don't even have a victim. The victim is really the 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 kids and the and the, and the black coaches right. or the black people who have the expertise and the knowledge to help these people's system and paradigm continue to run. Here, here's um, the more here was the more frustrating piece for me, Kenneth. It wasn't my money. Hmm. I was operating at the behest and working for a company as company. a consultant. consultant. And so when the powers that be from Adidas and the powers that be at Louisville, mm -hmm. Kansas, mm -hmm. and all these other things had dialogue and said, mm -hmm. yeah, we want you to help us. And then they use me to help them. Mm -hmm. My job. So I think. And then the investigation comes. It's like, oh, we didn't know they were doing that. <laughs> really? Hmm. How did the money get from? Oh, yeah, how did you get yeah, your budgets, your corporate budgets to this kid if you didn't know anything about it? Oh, they were acting rogue. <laughs> wow. That's that's ridiculous. Rogue for who? Like, you know, like they didn't find any I, I didn't, I didn't, I, First of all, I never touched the money. Secondly, yeah, like I didn't make a dime. There was no incentive for me to help that kid and his family. I've never met them folks. I don't know them. That's crazy. Wait, wait, do you do you if you could make this a perfect world and change the game, what do you think has to happen on the grassroots levels in our communities so that we can perhaps impact this? I have my own ideas, but that is long-term because unfortunately we do not impose the educational and cultural default system for our children, the athletes, the academics. We just don't do that. We leave it up to other institutions to do that. And when you don't do that, you don't have a working ideology. So if these kids had someone um, instructing them or teaching them like you, um, then they would be hip to this and they would understand what this was from a very early age. Because mm -hmm. the percentages, the problem to me with digital media at this day, day and age is that the percentages created delusion because no the percentage of kids that make it to the big show, even to go play ball overseas, to go, you know, 
It's very small. We amplify and glorify those that make it. Yeah. And the ones who don't are afterthoughts. And that's the problem with the system. The system doesn't allow those kids who aren't going to be pros to capitalize on their abilities at the collegiate level. That's mm-hmm. a problem. It is and a problem. Until, until we stand up and we find some folks that got enough balls to say, hey man, this is fucked up. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna change. It's not gonna change. No. What, what do you want people to learn from your book Marilyn, tell us about your book. Yeah, so so the book is called Black Market, um, dropping March the 1st. And, and so I was trying to give you a sneak peek into my, my, my journey. Um, I want the book to make you think. I want the book to help you gain some understanding. Uh, I want the book to make you laugh because there's a lot of some funny stories in there. Mm-hmm. I, want the book, I want the book to piss you off because mm-hmm. I want people have a deeper look at how this business actually operates and exploits young black athletes. And then I want to, I'm going to put some, some of the evidence that was not allowed in the courtroom in this book so that people get a real chance to see, okay, this is how it really went down. I think that's and, important, bro. And, and you have, I really think that's important because I don't, I think people don't understand a federal, a federal criminal trial is a sanitized false narrative right. coming from the government's perspective. And that's um, all it was. They it's not a fact finding. It's not a truth finding. No, um, no process. There's nothing about this that was factual. I mean, yeah. this. And I got I got convicted of bribery when they had me on wiretap saying you're not paying any of my guys because mm-hmm. they asked me to set up a meeting with some coaches and I said, well, I don't mind setting up meetings. I, I'm friends with them. Sure, don't come because I asked them to, but you're not paying any of my guys. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That that conversation never made it to the courtroom. <laughs> and then not only did it not make it to the courtroom. The closing arguments of the government was, you never heard Merle Code once say not to pay these guys. Yeah, I, I saw some of the motion in Lemonade's that your team filed. They were sharp. Um, and, and it was good that, what, what was really nice when I reviewed the docket sheet in your case is that a lot of these lawyers, like you said, they don't have the skill set. They haven't tried as that many cases to have right. to develop that skill, but they have the Department of Justice behind mm-hmm. them. They come in with their metal cart, pushing right. all these right. Right. documents and folders right. and agents sitting at the table. Right. Um, you need almost a team to combat that because when you're preparing to cross after you get those 302s and all these other things you want to get at your cross, they're hitting you with motions to constrict your cross-examination where you can't ask. We couldn't ask the question, but we couldn't put the people on the stand to ask the question. Yeah, that, and I saw that you guys were trying really, really hard and you you had a judge who often thinks they are the smartest person in the room. Question. And, and you know, they're, they're curating and, 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 and crafting this case so that when it gets to the circuit with their friends and no their question. colleagues that they there, are no, there, are no, there, are no, there are no loopholes so that the, the, the judge yes. can stand. And, and what you find out, man, is, is that these folks have similar backgrounds. The majority yes. have Harvard and Yale backgrounds. No. Listen, no, so, let's, be, let's keep it 100, as they say. They're going to look at, they're going to help each other. They're going to help each case. other. This, this, is all, this is all a curated thing that, that people, it's not a conspiracy either. You go and you look at the judges who are in the circuits, who the district court judges, and you look at their educational process, you look at their career process, mm-hmm. it's all the same, like you said. It's a homogenous group of people. Yep. And you're absolutely right. I'm going to purchase the book. It's, it's, it's being published by Harper, Collins, Harper Collins, right? 
Listen, one thing I want to tell you if this, you know, thank you for even sharing your knowledge with us. I wish we had more time. And yeah, I would yeah. love for you to, to, to come back at some point and, and, and talk to us, continue to talk to us about this, but then let us know what are you gonna, what's your plans going forward when you when you Yeah, so I've got some things in the works, man. I definitely want to continue to uh, have have uh, I want I want my voice to continue to 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 to, to uh, illuminate through the bullshit, right? Yes. I want to have a chance to, to to really start having a conversation on a real level, man, about uh, about equity and fairness in this space, mm -hmm. uh, the inclusiveness or lack thereof of, of black coaches, head coaches, mm -hmm. uh, the, the the salary disparities, the young men and women who should have an opportunity to really uh, operate in a, in a true capitalist society. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about the justice system. Yeah. I want to talk about bullshit. Like, if you want to have a justice system, let's get to the truth. Let's right. stop narratives and not allow, allowing people to defend themselves and criminalizing black folks for no fucking reason. You're let's stop that. You're absolutely right. I mean, I listen, I, I care what you do to me, but let's stop that for the folks, for my kids coming behind me. Well, listen, I think that conversation will be a great conversation because I can give you a lot of insight to that. And I think uh, your your perspective, first of all, I, I want to wish you well in, in that, you know, going into the Bureau of Prisons right now during the pandemic, um, where there's lockdowns every other day, uh, there just was national lockdowns, it's not an easy thing. And I don't think we understand in a society that in, that incarcerates 2.5 million people. And this is supposed to be the most civilized society. Um, there's a problem with that. And um, a lot of these individuals who are in prison shouldn't be there. And I think you're one of those people who should not be there. Um, and I hope that that goes as easy as it possibly can. Um, and you'll, you'll be home with your family and, and, and continuing on your journey. Yeah. That's the plan. Brother. I appreciate the, I appreciate the platform and I appreciate you brothers uh, giving me giving me a stage to, to, to talk about you know my experiences of my book and hopefully share and gain some some understanding of the business as it as it uh, as it currently exists, man. And uh, hopefully we, we can uh, we can do this again soon. All right, thank you, Bobby. Well, again, we want to thank Merle Cole for taking the time out um, to talk to us um, before he actually surrenders. Um, on his, on his case in which he got, uh, I believe he said nine months for this conviction and think about it. Nine defendants, eight all black. So that's where we're at. And uh, we wish that man well, and hopefully when he finishes his, his, his time, he'll come back and speak to, the, to us. Peace.
Dada. <laughs>